Amen. Thank you for that special music. Amen. Good morning, church family. Happy Sabbath. How are we doing today? Good? Are we happy to be here at church this morning? Amen. I know I'm happy to be here. Hi, Maddie. I told you I'd do that. See, like, the thing about being, like, a younger pastor, I tell them, like, I have no problem embarrassing you in front of the whole church. Like, I don't feel that bad by doing that, and I always will. Um, but I'm just so glad to be here. I'm so glad to see each and every one of you this morning. And today we're going to continue our series in the book of Philippians. So before we start, let us just pray. Father, we're so grateful for you. And we just ask that as we go into your word, your spirit continue to be with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, growing up, one of my biggest pet peeves, you can say, was that my younger brother used to always copy me in everything that I would do. For example, we would go out to a restaurant, and I would order something, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a picky eater, right? Like, I'm not a big fan of mayonnaise, I'm not a big fan of pickles and stuff like that. Um, and, and I would say very specific, my order. And then it would, we'd go around the table, and then it would be my brother's turn, and my brother would say, I want the exact same thing, literally exact same thing as I got. And I would look at him like, man, what's wrong with you? Get your own thing. Then the thing that we keep on growing, right, and then it becomes clothes. And now I'm looking, and I have my own wardrobe. I'm trying to, you know, move away from the nice church outfits that we used to always match with, you know, and, and all of these things. And, and all of a sudden, the next thing I see is that my brother's trying to buy the same thing as me. And once again, I am annoyed, and I am bothered by this. And then eventually one day we keep on getting older. We go to another restaurant, this time a little bit nicer. And I, I get my food and my brother orders the exact same thing. And at this point I told him, why do you always copy me? Can't you be original? Why do you always have to have the same thing that I have? And he answered me very wittingly as a younger brother would say. And he's like, because I'm just like you. We have the same parents. And I was just like... I'm like, man, I was, that even got me more heated, I'm not going to lie. Like, you know how little siblings do that to you sometimes? That's how I felt. But that's how it is sometimes, right? We find these things that we enjoy, right? And you have a younger sibling and you, you start to, to like the same things. And as I got older and he started to grow into his own personality, all of a sudden we went to college and we roomed together and his clothes started being nicer than mine and I'm like, hey bro, I'm going to borrow this and I'm going to borrow that. And then we go out to eat and he's like, what do you want? And I'm just like, hey, just get the same thing you're going to get and I'll eat it too. <laughs> but it's crazy how that shift happens sometimes and it goes like that. And last week Pastor Darren was talking about uh, living a life worthy of the gospel he was talking about how in Philippi the church was feeling this pressure to stand with Christ even though many people were trying to sway them away from that. And he ended his sermon asking this question, what is it that you live for? Today we're in Philippians chapter 2 and if you'd open your Bibles there, let us start reading in verse 1. And it says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. 
And we see here he starts off, Paul starts off saying the word therefore, saying if there's just one thing in Christ, right, right whether it is his love, whether it is his fellowship, whether it is his tenderness and compassion and mercy, if it's just one thing, just know that you're starting to become being like-minded with him. And my question to you this morning is this, what is your joy? What is it that brings you joy? For some people, it may be sports. For other people, it may be spending time with family. I know that's what it is for my dad. He loves spending time with family. Or is your joy perhaps listening to worship music in the morning before you start your day? Or going on a hike in the afternoon when you finally have some time? Or maybe your joy is rushing every morning with your kids as you're late to school and you don't know where everything is and still wondering if they have their homework done and everything. But what is your joy? And I think about Paul in this context as he is sitting in a prison, and I start to think, if I were switched with Paul, what is it that I would say? Would this be my joy, having my church family being like-minded? Can I possibly say the same things as he is saying right now, as he is in prison, chained, guarded, unjustly accused? But he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. The truth is that the person who's sitting next to you, you guys aren't anything alike, unless you're identical twins. You're very different in personality and what you like and your desires in life and your goals that you want to accomplish. But this is where sometimes we get confused in the church. Sometimes we think, oh, we have to think exactly the same way. We have to feel as though we're all in the same plane and we're all trying to do the same exact thing. But rather, Paul is talking that the way, the way we're supposed to be is possess the same love we do with one another. Very different. Sometimes we think, oh, I have to be this, and we have to all agree, but in many times, that's not what God is calling us to do. And Paul is trying to say, we have to possess the love of Jesus in our hearts, and we are different. And that's what makes you unique. That's what God has called you. That's why you have a purpose in this world, because of how you are as a person. But our same love that we have inside of us, how we act, how people perceive us as, as we call ourselves Christian, is what Paul is talking about here. And if we keep on going in verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And as Christians, we put this and we say, yes, I'm going to help my neighbor. I love my neighbor. And I will help them move from the house that they're at. Or perhaps I will be there if they need any type of support. But rather, this idea of can we do that at times when we are at our lowest as well? Can we do that in that times where perhaps when we don't feel like it in our heart and we're having a good lunch with our husband like Pastor Danielle was talking about? And do I go do that? Do I, am I that type of person? And I love here how Paul talks about this selfish ambition because he understands the church. He understands the church of Philippi and he understands that this is exactly how it is. This is how people feel. The moment that selfishness begins to creep in our life is the moment that we start moving away from Christ. 
The moment we find ourselves, and we know this, and I'm sure we've all experienced it, when we're not close with Christ, we're thinking about myself and what can I do, and we start using those, like I and myself and my family instead of our family and we and what can we do together is the moment where people start feeling like we're alienating them. And people will look at us and they will say, you're a Christian, but all you think about is yourself. And it becomes hard because we're followers of Jesus. Right? And I've used this quote before, and I've said it many times, and I just want to read a couple quotes of what famous people have talked about who Jesus is. And Gandhi once quoted, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Right? Albert Einstein wrote, I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene named Jesus. Napoleon once wrote, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is not a man. Man, superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. The resemblance does not exist. There is, there is between Christianity and whatever other religions a distance of infinity. And then Fyodor Dostrovsky, a Russian novelist, wrote, I believe there is nothing lovelier, deeper, more sympathetic, more rational, more manly, and more perfect than the Savior. I say to myself with jealous love that not only is there no one else like him, but that there could be no one else. And this is what people have said throughout history about Jesus. And when I think about that and I think about how are we living our lives as Christians, when people see us on a daily basis, what are they saying? Do we perhaps personify the essence of what Jesus was doing when he was on this earth? You know, there is, I'm sure we've all heard of the word, you know, an impersonator is. We all know what that is. It's someone who's trying to pretend something he's not. And the one thing that I've always thought about with impersonators is this, is that they work so hard in order to pretend to be something that they're not. That if they would rather just put that hard work into following and deciding to follow Christ, that they could live a life that is so much better. But in this world sometimes that we live in, we feel as though we have to live within these silos and within this context that the world has given to us. That we say, I'm going to do everything in my power to look like this, even though I don't feel like that. And that's what happens sometimes in our Christian walk. But we see here that Christ is, that Paul is calling us to become imitators, somebody who copies, right? And I'm sure at one point or another, we're all in school and we all ask for somebody's help with somebody's homework. We're like, hey, can I copy that? I know I did it once or twice in high school, right, because it was a little bit late, and I was running late, and I forgot to do my homework, right? My mom's here, so I kind of feel bad because she always thought I did it on time. <laughs> but what, what's the main reason to imitate somebody, right? It's because you want to be like them, right? I remember growing up, right, I'd grab, a, I'd grab a piece of paper, I'd roll it up, I'd clunk it up, and I'd shoot, and every time I would yell, Kobe, right? And I thought my jump shot looked like Kobe, but instead it's broken, right? And I, was, I wish it was. But why is that? Because I wasn't willing to put in the thousand and thousand of hours of work that you were supposed to do in order to finally get to that place, right? We see that perhaps in school, right, you, you, you look at the people who are the smartest in the class and you try to imitate them. And instead of copying your work, if you only follow their work ethic and their habits, then what would happen? All of a sudden, you would start to see those influences come in your life as well. Becky was saying in her prayer how sometimes 
you know, we, we, we see that and we, we feel for people and, and we try to understand. And the more we are with people sometimes, the more we end up being like them. And deep down, many of us know that we fall short of the imitation of Christ. It's hard. It's extremely difficult. And we see that Paul is calling us here to adopt these Christ-like attitudes in all aspects of our life. But can we really live up to Jesus' standards? Can we really learn how to imitate and be like him? It's an unrealistic expectation. But it is, and to be honest, it's not what God expects of us. But rather, he wants us every day, rather than trying to live in this perfection, right, to have this honest conversation with ourselves and realize that we ourselves as humans cannot live the life that Jesus did. But rather, it is only having him by our side daily and only seeking for him daily that we can begin to live and to walk like Jesus did. So how are we going to reflect Christ? What are we going to do in our day-to-day to make sure we start to imitate him in everything we do? Let us continue reading now in verse 5. And it says here, it says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And we're going to read this next passage right here from verses 5 to 11. And this might be one of the greatest little parts that Paul has ever written about Jesus. And if you look in your Bibles, it's kind of in a hymn sort of structure. And, you know, scholars go back and forth whether it is a hymn. And we see here, he writes, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And what is the mindset of Jesus? The one who understands exactly how I feel. The one who gave everything and left heaven because he loved me so much. The one who put others before himself. The mindset of Jesus is loving people and being for them, being there for them when they most need it as well. In verse 5, in verse 6, it says, and it starts like this, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And one thing that we should realize from this passage is this, is that nothing was forced upon Christ. It was all his initiative. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He decided consciously to take the cross and to die for us. He took that decision. He made that decision within himself that he was going to do that for you and for me. And because he did that, he understands exactly how you and I feel on a daily basis. He knows what it is to feel mocked and ridiculed by people within your workplace. He knows what it is to feel profound disappointment at times. We can think about that with his disciples. He knows how it feels to see and be at the tomb of his friend and cry as he looks upon his friend who is dead. He knows exactly what you and I feel. He has cried out to his father as well on the cross. As he say, Father, please take this cup from me. 
He, he, he knows at times how that feels when you are so alone and so abandoned. Jesus felt that just as you and I experience on a daily basis. And when I think about that, that he understands exactly what I am going through and what I have been through, nothing more that I can say is thank you because he knows how I feel. That we got the, we, you see, Jesus, he surrendered himself. He surrendered himself to this world where there's evil and darkness. And he, under, he, went, he felt the pain that we experienced. And he did that because he loved us. And Paul here is talking about the cross. And he's talking about the sacrifice which Jesus made for you and me. And he's saying he did something that was different. He did something that we should follow. He did something that every day you and I should learn and be thankful for and say thank you, Jesus, for that. You know, this past week on Sabbath morning last week, I was up at PUC. The girls had a, the, we were at the PUC basketball tournament. It was around 6.30 in the morning, and my dad calls me. And, you know, usually he calls me Sabbath morning to see if I'm awake, right? He's like, you know, he early riser. He's like, hey, are you awake? I'm like, oh, yes, I am. And he's like, I'm like, all right, cool. But this morning, his voice sounded a little bit different. And from the get-go, I knew something was wrong, and he just called me, and he said, he's like, your grandma passed away. You know, and it, it's one of those feelings, right, that in that moment, you don't know how to feel, right? Because, you know, I heard the sadness in my dad's voice, and like, I'm like, I got to be there for him, all right? But then at the same time, you know, my mind starts racing. I'm like, okay, what is going to happen? And, and in Latin America, like he's, she's from, he's from El Salvador, it's different, right? Literally the funeral, they're buried within two days. Like everything is so fast, things aren't prolonged. Like, like it's like now, 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 we got to go, right? And I remember I was like in my dorm, I was in the dorm room, right? I'm like, all right, what are we going to do? Do you want me to go? What's going to happen? How's everything going, right? And, and, and at the end, I was just like, we figured it all out. He got his ticket. He, he took the first flight after church to go down there. And then I was at PUC, and I'm like, do I go? Do I not go? Do I tell my mom to go? How does this all work out? And then finally, we figured everything out, and everything subsided, and I'm sitting in my dorm room. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, you know, that grieving process, right? And then I go, and I talk to Cerns, and I talk to Chambers, right? And then as I was thinking there, I started thinking about this church community. And since I've been here, there have been many people who have been a part of this church community who have passed away. People who I don't know who they were, sadly, and I wish I did, because all I hear are good things. Bonnie Parker, Earl Mack, all these individuals that I've heard their names. Bonnie Nelson, I'm sorry. Thank you for that. See, I had it here, but I didn't look down, you know. But I think about that, and I think about this process of grieving, and I, and I think about how as a church family, right, and I've seen people step up and say, okay, I'm going to help with this, and I'm going to help with that, and we see the framework of what Jesus wanted to do, and we usually see that when somebody passes away, right? Everybody's like, I'm going to help. I'm going to step up now. What do you need? I, if you need this or that, I'm here for you, and we make the phone calls, and we do all of that, and, and for me, I was just grateful that Chambers and Cerns, they're like, hey, man, whatever you need, I'm here if you need to talk, whatever. And I was grateful for that. But it shouldn't only be in those moments, right? 
in those moments where it seems like things are God, that, that we finally decide as a community we're going to step up and move forward with one another and be with them and mourn with them and grieve with them, but also in those moments of happiness, be there with one another. Even in those moments where we're tired and we say, hey, this is what I'm going through. You know, I thought very long and hard if I was going to share that with you. But I thought about it and cried. And as I was prepping, I'm like, if I can't share it with my church community, then who can I share it with? If that's not the thought process, if we're so scared at times of saying, I don't want people to know this about me because this is about my life and about my walk and about my problems. And I'm just going to keep it in then what are we doing here? You see, Jesus, when he came on this earth, he kind of changed that whole narrative. He started saying, hey, let me, let me talk to you. And let me see how I can help you. And let me not just be for you there one day, but I'll be there the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day in this life that we live. And that's what he calls us to. And he knows how we feel. And I think just that understanding that he knows exactly where I was at gives me that peace. And knowing that I have a community that I can be with, I can mourn with, and I know will be there with, for me gives me hope as well. Verse 9, we keep on going and we say, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to God, the, to the glory of God the Father. And we see that because of Jesus' sacrifice, because how he humbled himself, we see that God exalted him to the highest place. Because Jesus died, we get to live. Because Jesus died, we get to have this hope of a resurrection morning when we all get to see and be with our loved ones once again. And that just gives me such this beautiful feeling of just happiness. And I'm so grateful for that as well. But the question is, in our daily lives, are we reflecting Jesus in the best way possible? You know, Maurice Boyd, uh, Maurice Boyd, Dr. Maurice Boyd, a theologian, he wrote this. He says, we can think ourselves into a new way of acting, or we can act ourselves into a new way of thinking. In our Christian life, right, there will be, there will be times where we'll be driven to our knees because whether we find out a family member is extremely sick, we get a diagnosis that we may have not thought about, or perhaps right? Somebody passed away, or there's just something that is happening within ourselves that we just don't know how we're going to go through. But the question is, I mean, but the reality is that Jesus, right, he knows exactly what we're going through. And he knows that if we give our lives to him continually and daily, right, we ourselves don't have the power. We, to, to go through this, right? We ourselves are inadequate with our own resources to try to live this life that Jesus lives, right? But rather, if we decide to walk into his arms of grace, if we decide every single morning to spend that time and say, this is important to me because I understand that the world I live in is 
hard and it's going to be long it's going to be long days but i cannot do this without him when we do that and we understand that that is the only way that we can learn to live the life as jesus did we start to finally finally live the life that he wanted for us you know abraham lincoln once said he said i have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that i had absolutely no other place to go And I know we've all been there at one point in our lives, that we've been driven down to our knees, that we feel as though, my heart, I can't take this anymore. I don't know what to do. Where do I go, right? And and it isn't until that point of exhaustion where we have nothing left into the tank that we finally decide, okay, God, now I'm going to call upon you. Now I'm going to do that. But he will never, ever not answer our call. He's always there waiting. He's always there wanting to give us grace and love, right? But us as a church as well should always be there with our arms open. No matter if we haven't seen that person in 5 years, 10 years, 30 years, that the moment that they walk in through these doors, that they get down and they say, I need your help, that we are there with open arms instead of judgment. Because when we look and we read this verse and we read about the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, Paul is telling us and he's saying to each and every one of us what he did. He humbled himself. He didn't say, I told you so. He didn't try to reprimand them. He didn't do anything that we would usually do as humans. Rather, he became a servant of human likeness and showed us the right way to do it. Christian living is a process. It is a process. God's timeline for each and every one of us is unique. And God only knows what the final product is going to look like. But what is more amazing for to me is that he showed us every day what we should do. And the thing is, when we follow this walk and we're on it together, we're not going to have instantaneous transformation. We all know that. That's not going to be how it is. But rather, it's going to be this ongoing process. We're going to fall down, but he'll pick us up. We're going to fall down, but our church member will be there. This process, which will take a whole lifetime that we get to have with one another. That's why I asked you this morning, are you feeling joyful? And what is it that brings you joy? Because if joy for you is helping your church member on those days that perhaps you don't feel feel like it and you get to be there for them, then praise God for that. If the joy for you is coming to this church and saying hi to these people you don't see during the week and hug them and remind them that I love you and I want to be with you, then praise God for that. But we have to find our joy in Jesus Christ. And just as Paul was saying, that is my joy, to be like-minded, to be, have, to be together as a community, right? That is my prayer as well. We're not living in the circumstances that Paul is. We're not. We're not in chains. We're not in prison. We're not doing any of that. So our joy should even be more complete. And we should try to strive for that every single day. When I titled this sermon, Imitating Joy, it was more for the fact that when I look at the life of Jesus, it's because he imitated that every single day. He followed what his father had called him. And my prayer this morning is this, that every day as we live our lives, we imitate him. That the joy that we feel in the morning and in the midday and in the evening be nothing more than the joy that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, died for us. And because of that, we can live a life and follow him daily. May God bless you.
let's pray. Father, we're just so grateful that we can just be here. We're so grateful for this community that you've given us, Lord, and we just ask that every day we wake up, we can just have that joy. We're so grateful for your example. Help us to reflect you daily. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.